it's it's a way that you can brand yourself. For example, in Pomona, we have our own street signs, and they have the Pomona logo on them, and they have our Pomona colors. And so it's just a way to differentiate yourself. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Coffee House and 1820 Marketing in the heart of Alvin, Texas. Today, we're recording from the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce once again. For more information about the chamber, visit alvinmanvillechamber.org. Thank you once again to the chamber for letting us come in and record. If you're a first-time listener, we encourage you to subscribe to hear more. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe to stay up to date with us and our community. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, we'd love to talk to you about it. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. In this episode, we'll be sitting down with Russ Bynum. Russell is the general manager of Pomona, a Hillwood community in Manville, Texas. Welcome to the show, Russ. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, on the north se- northeast side of town in Kingwood, and I spent my middle school and high school years there and graduated, went off to the University of Texas at Austin, spent some time there, came back to start my professional career in engineering and graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering. Started my career as a civil engineer working for Turner Colley and Braden, which is, a, you know, back then, um, before it got bought out by AECOM, was really a the premier civil engineering firm in the Houston area. Uh, developed a ton of um, master plan communities such as Kingwood, Clear Lake City, Fairfield, so all over the place. And so that kind of got me interested in the development side of the business. So, so did you always know you wanted to do like civil engineering? Like what brought you to that? Do you have family that did that? No, no. Um, in fact, when I went to, or ju- as I was applying to college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I knew I had a kind of a propensity toward math and science. <laughs> right. And so I thought, okay, engineering sounds like the right way to go. Right. Um, and, and then it just sort of took off from there, trying to figure out what type of engineer I wanted to be. I knew I didn't want to be a chemical engineer. Okay. I knew I didn't want to be a petroleum engineer because of the volatility in the market. And I wanted to have a steady job. Sure. Um, and uh, I was kind of deciding on mechanical and civil, but the civil side really focused in on building cities, building environments to live in. And I really thought that was really kind of special and um, thought that was the way that I was going to kind of be able to create something. And um, so I, I started down that path and I really enjoyed the engineering side. Right. Uh, learned a lot about the technical design aspects. And, you know, I think that is very important to know and understand, but I kind of wanted to do more. And so while while I was working, um, about three years after I graduated and was working full-time, I decided to get my master's in business administration from the University of Houston. Okay. And so I went to their evening executive program sure. and uh, did that for about 30 months in the evenings and worked during the day, 
school at night on the weekends and graduated in 2005 with my MBA and decided to, I guess, sort of alter my career path and got a, got a job as a land acquisition manager for Friendswood Development Company. Okay. okay. Which, which is the developer that developed much of, of early day Houston as far as master plan communities go. And they also developed Kingwood. So that was kind of a, a neat thing to say that sure. I worked for the developer that developed my hometown kind of a deal. Yeah. Started out in 2005 when the housing market was just on fire and it was good times and learn, learned a lot. And then of course, 2007, the housing market started to see a little bit sure. of a a blip and I went, um, I had a young family, went back into engineering for a little while and then got, got an opportunity to come back into the development and, and home building world, um, with a former colleague at Turner Collie and Braden and really haven't looked back since 2012. I've been with Hillwood now for just a little over five years. Okay. And uh, it's been it's been a wonderful company to work for. They're um, they're owned and operated by Ross Perot Jr. and and the Perot family. Yeah. And you know, obviously, that has uh, a lot of special meaning behind it. Sure. Um, they do things in an extraordinary way. They're very special people. They take care of their their not only their employees but their customers and clients and and those kinds of things. So I felt like that was a really good move. They we only have one project down in the Houston area right now and so when I signed on, I of course knew that, but also saw a tremendous amount of opportunity to grow the business down in Houston. And so over the last 5 years, that's what my goal has been to do. And as of this year, we have two more projects under contract. Fantastic. Oh, wow. So, and, and by projects, you mean other communities. Other, that's right. Other master plan communities. Um, Hillwood. So I work for the Hillwood Communities Division, but Hillwood is actually a pretty large uh, company. And, and most of their portfolio really um, includes industrial properties. We also do multifamily, some commercial. Mm. We also have a construction company and, and we also offer uh, aviation services uh, for folks. Uh, Mr. Perot was an avid aviation person. He, he was actually the first to fly around the world in a helicopter. Really? Uh, back in 1984. Huh. Wow. Um, and so um, he, his love of, of just aviation has really extended into his company. And so it's a, it's a great honor, but also just a great asset to have as part of the company. Sure. And, and so one of the terms you've used a lot, and I've worked for municipal government, so I've, I recognize the term, but I'd love to hear your explanation of what it is. Master planned community. Because I think most people say, oh, I live in a master planned community. And you go, I know where you live. You it's know. not, it's it's not right, master planned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it is. And, and, you know, when master planned communities sort of first started out, and most of them really exist in the Texas area because we have a large land area to, to offer that. And so you've got Clear Lake City that's nearly 14,000 acres. You've got Kingwood that's probably up around 20,000 acres. You've got the Woodlands, which is about 27,000 acres. Wow. So sort of the original concept of a master plan community was just a large area that had a number of different land uses. And so you had commercial components, maybe some light industrial components, retail, residential, maybe even higher density like multifamily housing, those kinds of things. And okay. so we, we've now fast forward to 2021 and those large land areas are getting fewer and fewer, you know, right. between. So, sure. 
Um, now, you know, master plan communities are really defined as communities where you have multiple builders and maybe some land uses like commercial or retail as a part of them. And so, for example, Pomona is a thousand acres, almost 1100 acres, and we have over 2300 residential lots that will be developed at build out. Um, and we have about 50 acres of, of commercial and, and 34 acres of multifamily. And we call this a master plan community. Um, it's just a little bit smaller than the Woodlands or Kingwood these sure. days, but, but it still has all of the sort of components that those had just on a, on a smaller scale. I guess sticking with the master plan community, can, can anybody that is building a facility that is looking into the future for multi-use land, can they call themselves a master plan community or is this kind of a almost a registered trademark kind of term. Yeah. And, and, and you'll see people kind of throw around master plan community from time (laughs) to time. And, and really it's all about putting together an overall master plan of the community that denotes where the specific land uses are and how you can, you know, live, but also maybe even work and play within that same realm gotcha. and, and shop and, and do all those things. And so, you know, we don't want to throw around master plan community too right. much, right? It sort of dilutes Correct. that effect. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at the same time, master plan communities are getting smaller than what they were before. It's just a, it's just a really cohesive way of saying it's, it's well planned out, well thought out. The land uses are in the right places based on, you know, a lot of geographical features maybe, or even entry and exit points of the community, those kinds of things. Gotcha. I, I always think of it as not putting a, a industrial plant in the middle of a neighborhood. And like the idea that someone had to plan that to right. not do that. They, they <laughs> right. looked at it and said, that would be a bad idea to have a coal plant surrounded by homes. Or, you That's know. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also think about what Mayor Cole said in his That's podcast with thinking. us about, uh, for him and Pearland, the goal is time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Pearland itself may not be a master plan community, but if he can give you 30 minutes on your day on a commute, mm-hmm. now I've given you an hour per day, and then he knows the math in his head and I don't. But mm-hmm. at the end of the year, you've got time. And that seems to me that's something the master plan communities do as well, which is you can live, work, and play in them depending, you know, depending on the structure of retail and commercial and things like that. But that's right. The other thing that jumps out to me is the Woodlands is 12,000 acres. Uh, 27. 27-ish. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. And because that's the one that I remember hearing that was the, heard that it was the first master plan community in America. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I think if my history serves me correct, I think the first master plan community was on the East Coast, kind of in the Virginia, Maryland gotcha. area, if I remember that right. And then, it, you know, and I, I don't know, but maybe the second was Clear Lake City. Gotcha. Um, okay. Not far behind it, though, was George Mitchell in the Woodlands and, yeah. um, and, and Kingwood in that same sort of time frame. But yeah, the Woodlands is massive, 27,000 acres. And, and it's really, and I, and I think I even saw something here lately that said it's one of the best places in the country to live. Yep. And, and a lot of it has to do with they were able to create a formula where you really can live, work, and play. And, and they have regulations in place that prevent certain signage from going up that takes away from the community and those kind of things. That's exactly right. Yeah. Every master plan community has sort of what we call guidelines and their residential guidelines, commercial guidelines, and they're very strict sort of regulations, what you can and can't do on signage, just like you said, 
but also building materials, right. um, you know, kind of setbacks and, and how you want that building to sort of react and respond to the, the roadways and the walkways. And so it, it, there's a lot of planning that goes into all of this, and right. therefore it's called a master plan community. There you go. So one of the things that always jumps out to me is I hear the idea of signage. I, and I, I know having worked in Missouri City, like Missouri City street signs are one color. Like it's mm-hmm. like a red and blue, and then you sugar land, right. and it's all red or it's flipped. Like it's very close to one another, to, almost to the point that you don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a master plan community, why does that stuff matter? It's it's a way that you can brand yourself. For example, in Pomona, we have our own street signs. And they have the Pomona logo on them, and they have our Pomona colors. And so it's just a way to differentiate yourself so that you can tell, oh, I'm in Pomona, or I'm somewhere else. I'm in Missouri City or Bel Air or, you know, a number of different places. And um, it, it's just an identifier, um, and it's a way that you can kind of brand and you know, sort of show pride in your community. Well, let's dig in a little bit into uh, Pomona and Hillwood as well as kind of your role in it. But first, let's take a moment and thank our sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's your friendly neighborhood realtor, Parker White with New Villa Realty. It's not a secret. The real estate market is red hot right now. Whether you have a dream of becoming a homeowner, your family's growing and you need more room, or if you're an empty nester, I got you covered. New Villa Realty specializes in helping our clients achieve their real estate goals through a stress-free process and open communication 24-7. You will never be left in the dark, and I will be there with you for any questions you may have. Connect with me today so we can sit down and get you where you want to be. My phone number is 281-678-1811 or email me at parker at Realty, N-U-V-I-L-L-A.com. I would love to meet you. I'm Jamie Scafidi, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce exists to provide support to businesses and organizations in the Alvin and Manville area. With various networking and marketing opportunities every month, the Chamber can help you grow your business. Learn more at alvinmanvillechamber.org. Hey, we want to take a quick moment and tell you a little bit about 1820 Marketing, the producers of this podcast. We believe that when businesses have quality marketing, it gives business owners the freedom to focus on what they do best. We design websites, produce videos, and create marketing materials that help clients grow their business. Find out more at 1820marketing.com. It's something different. And now back to the show. So we kind of jumped the gun a little bit talking about branding and things like that, which I think are important, but before you can brand it, before you can plan the nuances of a community, how does Hillwood or a developer choose where to go? Like how did Hillwood decide how does it come about off 288 right? and pair and, and Manville? Yeah, that, that's a, a million that's an question. interesting question. Yeah. And if you can answer that, then uh, you'll make a lot of money. Um, you know, a lot of times, some of these deals just sort of happen. Um, you know, our particular deal, a company called MHI, which is the parent company for Coventry Homes, bought um, a lot of the tracks and assembled them back in 2005, 2006. Hmm. And they had the intention of developing it. And it was at one point going to be called Mustang Creek. 
because Mustang Bayou runs through there. But of course, the housing market bust hit, and so they kind of put everything on pause. And then around 2012, 2013 is when they approached us to see if we wanted to do a joint venture with them and develop the land uh, with them in partnership. And so a lot of the heavy lifting had kind of already been done. Uh, It was really more for us to figure out, understand if this was the, uh, you know, the first deal we wanted to develop in the Houston area. And we, we did our due diligence. We made sure that the market was strong enough to support a community down in this area. And of course, all of those things showed that it was. And so we had a little bit of benefit from somebody else already sort of finding the land for us. That said, many of our other communities, you know, we look for really three important things, location, location, and location. All right. (laughs) And a lot of that has to do with, are you near good mobility, right? Do you have freeways nearby? Um, Because that commute really is important. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Do you have a good school district nearby? Are you located within a great school district or a growing school district that because, you know, when your residents move in, they've got students that are going to go to school and elementary, middle, high school. And so the school district is something we really look for as well. That's a super important thing when people are buying a home. That's literally one of the top things that they think about is their kids, especially if they have them. Um, even, Even buyers that don't have kids quite yet still factor that school district into their their conversation um, because they may be there when they do have kids and it's also a great exit strategy if you're in a school good school district you're more likely to be able to sell your home for a higher price or quicker those kinds of things so school districts are very important you know the the area that you're in the proximity to services and retail and jobs and those kinds of things are really important too which you know all of those things really translate back to that location Right. Right. And with Pomona being right off of 288, Mm -hmm. you know, really without traffic, 15 minutes from the medical center. Right. um, And then really close to a lot of services and retail in the Pearland, Manville, Alvin area. It was a it was a little bit of a no brainer, you know, and certainly an afterthought. uh, You know, as I sit here today, five years after, you know, I've been here. Such a great spot. Such right, a great location. Sure. We're in a, a path of growth. That's also, uh, you know, an important item that we look for. And with the toll road that, you know, was under construction or in the plans when we bought it and now finally completed, yeah. it, it makes a big deal because all of a sudden that 45 minute commute may be 25 minutes or 30 mm-hmm. minutes. But, you know, that's the time that you, you know, you get back to um, to be with your family or to, to be able to go to a, a baseball game or a dance competition or something right, exactly. like that. And, uh, and all of that really reverts back to location. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about 2013. If you look at it now, obviously you look at it and go, wow, we're in a great position, right? You look at it 2013 when you guys joined on. Uh, even then it was probably, okay, it looks like it's developing, but you said it, it started originally in around 2005, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So I don't know that in 2005, I would have looked at that and said, all of those things that you said are there now right? could be there at this point. You right. Know, like the, the tollway there, uh, the fact that Manville, I mean, Alvin ISD is out there. Mm-hmm. You've got Manville kind of exploding right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a few large developments out there. So you're, I think you're in a great position, but I, I don't think it's something that I would have thought about in 2005 for sure. 
or have the patience for. Well, <laughs> was, yeah, I was curious about the timeline, and you were kind of walking through it. It's and, eight and, years. Yeah, so if they want to come to partner with you, is that about an accurate timeline of eight years or so, a decade to kind of identify a property, put it through its paces to make sure that it's good to go, start developing? I mean, now now you've got a homes and stuff. You're not just starting at Pomona. You're right. Yeah. We're well into the project now. Yeah. We probably have another four or five years uh, remaining in the life cycle of it. But, you know, to, to find a property, to start the process, we're lucky we live in Texas. Um, the, yes. the, the you, process, can, you can say that again if you want. I think that's a lot right. of people deserve to hear that. Um, you know, if you develop somewhere else in California or, you know, somewhere where there's a lot of very strict regulations and, and maybe for good reason, sure. but, um, you know, I think Texas, you know, goes through the motions of making sure things are done the right way. You know, it doesn't take a long time to identify, develop and deliver. Um, it, it, it can take two years, not 10, but still two years. And so you do have to have, you know, some of that staying power early on and you've got to have the right capital behind you to make sure that, that, that what you start, you can, you can finish. I think uh, at the time in 2005, 2006, as they started compiling and and gathering all of the, uh, the tracks and then, of course, the housing downturn, Mm -hmm. I think that's probably what really sort of delayed that property from, from really flourishing, right? Gotcha. If we had a better economy back then, then, you know, they were just on the heels of Shadow Creek Ranch, which right. started in the very early 2000s and, right. and, you know, finished, I'll say finished. They're probably not completely done, but they're mostly done with the residential. And um, that, uh, that happened very quickly um, based on the size and everything of it. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that fascinated me is, so we're recording this on April 1st. Um, but a year ago is when the pandemic started. I remember talking to you or you were talking and I happen to be hearing you. How about that? Um, the number of new homes purchased in March of last year was one of the lowest ones you've experienced. That's right. And then in April was, I want to say one of the highest you've ever experienced. Who buys a brand new home in a pandemic? Starts when it starts. (laughs) You know, that, that's a really good question. So I, I'm a little bit of a data nerd, um, probably my engineering background, but I started kind of thinking about it when we were in the middle of this in March and things were getting shut down. The rodeo was canceled. I remember right. watching that on television and I'm sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, one, there's a pandemic and people are getting sick and that's not good. Right. Correct. And then, and then all of a sudden it focused really close in on me. Like what could happen to me and my family? we may not be sick at this time and, and, you know, at that time hoping we wouldn't get it. But at the same time, I also had to think about what about the welfare of my family? If I don't have a job, you know, what's going to happen. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, here I am today and it's, and it, it turned out okay. But in March we did, um, you know, the, the model home shut down. That was also during the time of spring break. And so typically right. we see sort of a seasonal lull during that time of spring okay. break. That makes sense. Um, because people are going on vacation or they're sure. busy with their kids. And, um, and we, I believe at the time we sold 15 homes in March, which, you know, we probably were on pace to probably do 20 to 25. So we were, we were pretty far off. And then I'm sitting there at the beginning of April thinking, if we sell one home a week, 
we'll be lucky because who, well, one, the model homes are shut down. Yeah. Can't go look. Who's going (laughs) to buy a home during this time when they can't even go in to see the model. So, you know, the days went by and we started to see sales come in. We actually had about four sales a week instead of, you know, four sales a month. Wow. So I was kind of wondering, you know, how are they buying homes now? Part of it was they were already in process. Okay. So they had already started the process, maybe started the journey of, of buying a home, maybe back in January, February, even early March. Finances in order and so forth. That's sure. right. Sure. And, and so, okay. All right. But maybe that's an anomaly. It's <laughs> going to drop off after that because nobody was able to come in at the end of March. And so there's going to be a little bit of a lag. Well, we ended up, uh, and so April wasn't our best month, but May was. Wow. And so we sold, um, the home builders sold 40 homes in March. Wow. Which was our best ever. 10 a week. Number. Oh That's my right. Gosh. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the summer, we continued to see similar paces. Wow. And we were selling at one point uh, a little more than one home a day. Wow. And that was the, the most that we had ever seen in Pomona. It started to decrease a little bit in the, in the fall as kids got back to school and, sure. and those kinds of things. Sure. Um, but we're, we're back up. We're 50% uh, over our, you know, home sales uh, year over year. Yeah. And wow. it should be also stated that we've all been to Pomona. These are gorgeous homes. Oh yeah. It's, it's not right. Yeah. The, the, the price, these are, these are beautiful these are homes. Not shacks. Yeah, yeah. These are not the, shacks. The, the, the price point for these homes is, is pretty high. And so we're probably the high water mark in the area of new home sales. Our average sales price since we started is about 420,000. And over the last 12 months. So at the start of the pandemic till now, that price is actually 450,000. Wow. So prices are, are going up, demand is rising, supply is falling. And so you get that, that economic curve there that, that really resonates with the supply demand in the area, but also just for new homes. And so Pomona seems to have a different backstory and you explained it, but generally with land development, how does you as a developer work with home builders? Because I know some communities have multiple home builders. Mm -hmm. Great question. Great question. So um, whenever we go into an area and we start looking uh, to develop property, we, we first go to our our best customers. You know, um, we have a stable of builders uh, that we've worked with for a long time, for 30 plus years. And uh, we love working with um, builders that we know that we've had a relationship with. Um, much of this business, at least for Hillwood, is a relationship. Relationship, sure. And um, that's not to say that we don't form new relationships because we do. Um, but Pomona started out, and we had several builders, and you know, um, we've added a couple more. And and I'll say we added a couple that we didn't regularly do business with. Okay. And so since we've added them, they've now uh, been introduced in several of our other communities in other areas. Oh, nice. Right. So, um, so just, you know, for reference, we're the developer. And so we do all of the infrastructure, uh, the horizontal infrastructure. We put the roads in, put the storm sewer in, the water and sanitary. Um, in, in most cases in Houston, typically you're building your own water plants or your own sewer plants. Um, to support the community. And so we, we've done that. 
And then we sell uh, the lots to individual builders, right? And so in certain areas, you may have two builders building in one particular segment. Uh, maybe they're priced from the 300s to 350s or something. And uh, and so you just kind of segment those particular builders, but also products. Gotcha. So you, it's going to be kind of the same roughly price of a house, but it might be a different builder with different amenities mm-hmm. within the house. And um, I, There's a neighborhood in League City that I'm blanking on the name, but I was really impressed and confused at the same time that <laughs> where I happened to go, these were shotgun homes, like 1,100 square feet. Like mm-hmm. the, the whole width of the house was the garage and there was a hall, like a walkway beside the garage to get to the house. Right. $350,000 in League City for a shotgun home for, mm-hmm. you know, but it was because people wanted to live in this That's particular right. community. Cause you could say you lived in that one for 350, but there were $800,000 homes <laughs> in mm-hmm. the back. And that, I think that's fascinating balancing the builders and everyone's a little different. That, that's right. Yeah. Some builders um, will build a certain price point really well and, and they do a great job of it. And then other builders build on a different price point really well. Okay. And, and so from a developer standpoint, you've got to understand what the builders can and can't do well, because at the end of the day, you want residents to be able to buy something and be proud of it. And you also don't want your customers, what my customers are, are the builders. You don't want your customers to do something. You don't want to ask them to do something they're not really great at. Sure. And so we've got some builders that build homes from the 300s to 400s really well. And then, and then we've got other builders that build homes really well, you know, above 500,000. Okay. And so you try to put your customer, your builder on the products that they're, that they're great at, that they can, they can have a lot of success. Sure. And, um, and if you can do that, then you're, you're doing one of two things. You're, um, you're one looking out for the customers, but you're also looking out for the buyers that are coming in to, to buy in those homes. And so we, um, you know, developers will tell you they segment their their products by lot size, and typically lot size translates into square footage and price. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we talk a lot about fifty foot lots or sixty foot lots, and really what we're talking about is price range. Okay, but it's easy for us to say that's a fifty foot lot or a sixty foot lot. We've already translated it in our mind that that really means. In our community, a 50-foot lot is a home priced from the 320s. Okay. And on a 60-foot lot, it's home priced from about the 370s. And that, and that's, that's not really interchangeable either, really. Well, it could be, obviously. But you probably, I couldn't buy a $350,000 home on a 60-foot lot necessarily because you want that going to the 400, 500. That's right. That's right. And, and typically, a lot of that is sort of, I'll call it mandated by uh, square footage. And so within the particular lot segments, we have created these square footage bands where in the 50 foot product, they can only build 2000 to 3000 square foot homes. Okay. And in the 60 foot product, maybe they can build 2400 to 3400 square foot homes. And so that's how we sort of segment the product types where we can differentiate them so that, you know, the architecture is sort of sporadically done throughout the community. Price points are done, you know, so that buyers can, can you know, sort of live in different areas within the community. Right. An appraisal standpoint, when lenders are looking at that, they can kind of tell, oh, this section is priced at this much. This section is priced at this much. So if somebody is coming in as a buyer that's looking to get a house, 
in Pomona, do they bring their own realtor? Do they come to Pomona? Do they go to the house builders? Like what's the process? Is it any mixture of that? Yeah. So I think it's probably a mixture, you know, inception to date, our realtor participation rate is just above 80%. Wow. So we have okay. a really high realtor participation rate. Yeah. And and we ask the question to the, the salespeople, are they bringing a realtor in when they first come in or right. Or does the realtor get introduced sort of during the middle of the process? Right. Good question. And it, it's a toss-up. Um, okay. A lot of times the realtors will will bring them specifically to Pomona. And they'll say, hey, this is a great neighborhood. We okay. think this is perfect for you. Um, and then sometimes the buyer will bring the realtor to Pomona and say, hey, I need your help. Um, Got you. you know, and, and so the realtor may not know of Pomona until the first time they get there. Sure. And we know a lot of realtors and we know that they spend a bulk of their time building relationships like that, mm -hmm. whether it's with lenders or the loan originators, other realtors, whatever the case may be. So yeah, I know that's a lot of work for them. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and we try to do a good job um, creating a good realtor base. We have a realtor rewards program that benefits the realtors and just to let them know that we exist and that we're out here. How does someone, if they're interested in buying a home, how do they find out more about Pomona? You can go to Pomona by Hillwood.com and we've got a uh, substantial website where you can click on find your home and you can choose your lot. You can choose your builder or you can choose your price range. Wow. That's awesome. Can can they pick it before it's built? Yes, okay. absolutely. Is it, absolutely. Is it preferred or? You know, it really kind of depends on the buyer. Uh, okay. The buyer may have a situation they're in that they need to get into a home pretty quickly. Sure. Or they may have uh, some patience and want to customize that home. Nice. And so, you know, our home builders offer both options. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Russ, for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. And uh, I think our listeners got to understand a little bit more about what goes into a master plan community. So I appreciate you being on the show. And yeah, thanks for coming out. And finally, thank you to our listeners. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts or at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. This podcast is produced by 1820 Marketing. For show notes, visit 1820marketing.com slash podcast. <laughs>